The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five and five. We begin with investors bracing for the new trading week to kick off on the back of another sell-off. Markets testing key thresholds on surging interest rates and foreign currency turmoil. Futures are pointing to a muted open. And the Fed also very much in focus for traders with the Atlanta Fed president weighing in on the central bank's balancing act of tamping down inflation and preserving the economy. His new comments ahead and a major election overseas in Italy as the country prepares for its first far right government since World War II. We are live on the ground with reaction and a C-suite takeover or shakeup at Unilever, the CEO announcing his plans to retire amid a tumultuous period for that consumer goods company. And Elon Musk said to face off with Twitter's lawyers as the Tesla CEO faces some very tough questions over his failed bid to take the social media platform private. It is Monday, September the 26th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good Monday morning to you. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this hour with a check on the markets and your money. Stock futures right now, as I said before, a bit muted. We're not seeing too much action in the futures, despite that sell off that we saw last week. Right now, you're seeing all three indices basically flat at this time of day. Of course, that can change as the morning continues. Stocks coming off another tough week of trading with all three major indices facing steep losses. The Dow shedding 4%, the S&P 4.5%, the NASDAQ, the hardest hit, down 5%. The bond market very much in focus with recent dramatic moves among treasuries. The benchmark 10-year right now sitting at 3.77. We're also seeing that inverted yield curve, the two-year at 4.28, the five-year even over 4% right now, something to watch, often seen as a recession indicator. And big moves as late of late in the oil market as well. WTI right now below $80 a barrel, and that's something we have to watch at $78 right now. Brent crew right now at 85 A WTI well above its highs. The year was at about 120 a barrel just back in June. And we want to check in on crypto. We don't talk about it as much recently, but we're keeping our eye on it this week, especially Bitcoin currently below 20,000 right now at 19,286 up slightly this morning. Keep an eye on Ether and XRP, though, in the last month, both of them up about 40 percent. All right. Time to go worldwide right now. Our Juliana Tattlebaum. She's standing by with the latest move moves overseas. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, let me kick off with the action we saw in Asia. It was red across the board in the Asian session following that steep sell-off we saw on Wall Street and here in Europe on Friday. The Japanese market underperforming, Nikkei 225 dropping 2.7%. Now, in Japan, the monetary policy outlook very different to what we're seeing around the world. While the Federal Reserve, the ECB, the Bank of England all raise interest rates, the Bank of Japan pledging to keep policy supportive. And just this morning, we have some fresh lines from the Bank of 
Japan governor saying that uncertainty over Japan's economy is extremely high, but we must keep ultra uh, easy policy to support the economy. So no change in stance there. Uh, in China, where we saw the Shanghai Composite drop 1.2 percent, we also saw some pretty uh, strong action in the yuan in China. The yuan hitting a 28-month low versus the dollar, despite some fresh policy support from the uh, People's Bank of China, the central bank there. Now on to European markets, where we've had a lot of action in just two hours. Uh, in the last 20 minutes, things have turned positive. We were trading lower for the most part in the early hour, but now the Zetra DAX up four tenths of a percent, the CAC 40 in France up about four tenths as well. The Italian market seeing some outperformance after the election of yesterday in Italy saw the center right claim victory. And here in the UK, FTSE 100 holding steady after the steep selling we saw across the board on Friday. Now, Zooming in on the UK market, the focus today is squarely on sterling. Here's a picture of the British pound. We are now trading eight-tenths of a percent lower. That might seem big, but at one point overnight, we were down nearly 5% versus the dollar. Sterling hitting the lowest level on record versus the dollar. All of this after those big tax cuts were announced on Friday. Frank, back over to you. All right, Juliana, thanks for the latest in the overseas action. Now turning our attention back to Wall Street as investors gauge the damage done from Friday's sell-off. All three averages falling into the red with the yield on the two-year Treasury jumping to its highest level since 2007. This on the heels of the Fed's third straight 75-point basis hike on Wednesday. Chairman Jerome Powell reiterating the central bank's commitment to tame inflation. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic delivering a very similar message during an interview yesterday. We need to have slowdown. There's no question about that. Uh, but I do think that we're going to do all that we can at the Federal Reserve uh, to avoid deep, deep pain. It's not going to be easy. Uh, there will likely be some job losses. Uh, but I think if you look over the historical uh, history here and, and our economic experiences, uh, there's a really good chance that if we have job losses, it's going to be smaller than what we've seen in other situations. All right. Deep, deep pain, possible job losses coming from Rafael Basak there. Joining me now is Ben Emmons, Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, great to have you here this morning. Good morning, Frank. It's great to be here. All right. On the heels of those comments, certainly not an upbeat message there from Rafael Bostic. There's obviously also a new focus on the bond market in recent weeks, especially with the yield curve inverting the two-year above 4.2 percent. Um, you're watching Treasuries very closely. You believe all the Treasuries are headed towards that 4 percent yield direction. How do you see that impact in the markets? Yeah, it definitely is going to be a negative for the markets because as you're looking at the UK just overnight, right, they're now well over 4 percent. And, you know, you, the currency crisis there as it's unfolding had a big spillover on Friday on our markets and drove up our Treasury yields. And then if you take that in against the backdrop that inflation remains high and the Fed committed to fight that inflation, they're going to drive up real rates, as we say, even higher. So the, the nominal Treasury yield accounted for inflation. And that, again, propels the dollar. So I think describing all those factors, Frank, you can tell that driving higher interest rates or higher Treasury yields, yeah, is going to puncture the equity market. So we may retest those June lows, if not below, and then may settle out. So look for 4% 10-year Treasury yield. Yeah, we tested those June lows last week, actually. One other thing I want to ask you about, you mentioned those U.K. tax cuts. After those tax cuts, we saw the dollar and the sterling reach parity. Um, a lot of people consider that possibly a sign, especially with the euro and the dollar reaching parity as well, a sign of a possible recession coming up in Europe. How do you see rising currency impact in the markets as well? The dollar rising uh, at least 7 percent this quarter alone. 
that's a major negative factor uh, because you know there's a lot of debt in dollars for example in emerging markets so that gets under a lot of pressure then of course the current account and fiscal deficit combination like you're seeing in the uk only gets worse with a weakening pound and stronger dollar and it's also in other emerging markets so there's a big economic effect from a strong dollar and that i think is what's going to continue to pressure markets at least into this quarter until that all settles out at some point this dollar strength will fade as also our economy is slowing down as you know, Fed Governor Bostic say we need to slow down. That means it's eventually a weaker dollar, but not at this moment. You know, the pressure on rates is high, the pressure on real rates is high, and the weakness in the pound and euro are just exemplary of yeah, recession nearby in those countries propelling the dollar, and that is not a is not a positive for markets. All right, Ben, in a recent note, you actually said the Fed's three point one percent core PCE projection for twenty twenty three reflects an admission that they're not going to reach their desired goal of getting inflation around 2%-ish. Um, if, with that admission, does that change the Fed's hawkishness at all in your mind? And we have obviously a PCE report coming up. So million-dollar question, does this week's PCE report impact the Fed's plans at all? It will, Frank, because, yes, that projection is based upon that they believe they can get inflation down a lot from here, right, because we're, we're going to have core PCE more around five or change. So to get to three is a big move down. But, you know, to get to 2% will take a couple of years to get there. Um, and so they can take a victory there. And we know from Governor Waller, as an example, he's been saying we have to keep this fight going till we reach 2% and then declare victory. So I think what these projections showed was a idea within the fact that they do aim for the softish landing. They don't want to obviously damage the economy so much with, strong, with, with uh, over-tightening the policy. On the other hand, they have more work to do after 3%. So I think, in a way, it's a mission to get inflation to... 3%. On the other hand, it's still a fight to get all the way to 2%. So I think the Fed will keep going till they reach 2%. All right, Ben Emmons, we appreciate that insight. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you. All right, now turning your attention this morning's other top stories. It starts off with Elon Musk. He's set to kick off his sit-down with Twitter's lawyers over his bid to abandon his $44 billion takeover of the social media company. Musk will face a deposition today, tomorrow, and maybe even Wednesday, answering questions ahead of next month's trial on the deal. That proceeding will ultimately decide if the Tesla CEO must go through with his takeover bid. It's not known yet whether Musk will appear in person or by video for that deposition. Unilever announcing plans by its CEO to step down from the company. The consumer goods maker saying that Alan Jope will exit the role at the end of next year. Unilever says its board will start a formal search for his successor, considering both internal and external candidates. The announcement comes after Job tried unsuccessfully to buy GSK's consumer health unit earlier this year and less than three months after activist investor Nelson Peltz was granted a board seat. And Credit Suisse says it's on track with its comprehensive strategic review, according to reports. Part of that new strategy could include potential divestitures and asset sales, including the sale of its Latin American wealth management operations, excluding Brazil. The Swiss bank is working to shore up confidence and return to profitability, after a string of losses and missteps, Credit Suisse says it will provide more updates when it reports its third quarter results next month. All right, when we come back, a lot more on worldwide exchange. Oil facing fresh pressure on the back of Friday's pullback. We'll dive into what's driving the price action and how much crude could fall. Plus, Italy's set to see its first female prime minister and first far-right leader in decades. We'll go live to Rome for what that means for the path forward for Italy and for Europe as a whole. 
And back here in Washington, lawmakers racing to reach a deal to avoid a government shutdown with midterm elections just over a month away. Details on the hurdles that may derail a deal. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Brent crude falling below 85 bucks a barrel early this morning. Among the reasons, a surging U.S. dollar and continued global recession fears. Joining us now, Victor Katona, lead analyst for crude over at Kepler. Hey, Victor, great to have you here this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, lots to talk about here. Uh, I imagine your job's gotten a lot tougher recently. So one question for you just to start off. We're entering the part of the year, the fall and the winter, when demand for oil is expected to be the strongest. And we're even seeing gas prices, at least here in the U.S., fall. You would think consumer demand would go up. Why are we seeing price, this kind of price action when it comes to oil, when it seems like demand should actually be ramping up? Is it all about the reduced demand in China? Well, I would say that macros are driving effectively every single commodity down. And in the case of oil, it's somehow counterintuitive. As you absolutely perfectly said, uh, supply and demand balance should suggest that as we are heading into the winter and, you know, harvest season coming up, effectively, uh, people are traveling still in Europe or North America. Asia is picking up. China is out of lockdowns. India is out of monsoon season. Everything is pointing towards a rather bullish uh, picture, but we just don't have it whatsoever uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the prices. The prices just reflect the doom and gloom that's in the markets about what we're going to have in the future, but they don't really reflect the short-term future overall. So where do you see prices going? As we just mentioned, bread crude falling below 85 a barrel right now, WTI below 80 a barrel in the near term at least. Over the next month or so, where do you see oil prices going? I think the natural sort of space, the natural corridor for oil prices would be somewhere between 90 and 100, because that's the that's the corridor with which most of the oil producers would be satisfied, especially in the, the Middle East. Uh, basically, now you ha- with, with WTI at 78 and, and Brent at 85, you have a situation where some countries in the Gulf already have oil prices below their fiscal break-evens. And it's not a comfortable situation. They want the oil prices to be above. That's a good enough uh, level. And we think that, that that good enough level is somewhere between 90 and, and 100 for ice. All right. So you're saying that's the good enough level. You may have actually already answered my next question. So we have a big OPEC plus meeting coming up. You're saying that they're going to seek to maintain a price floor that's compatible with their fiscal break-even. And are you saying that levels 90 to 100? And what does that mean about production? Should we expect cuts? Yes, I think I think 
uh, OPEC Plus is seeing uh, that macro doom in the markets and understands that right now the markets need a push. The, uh, somehow, uh, effectively, the markets need to understand that the supply demand uh, is still a thing, still matters, and that as we're heading into the, the winter, and again, November, December, we'll have the highest rates of, of crew demand this year the entire year. That is just not reflected in the oil price. It's just completely missing. OPEC Plus could put that question back onto the agenda and put that question back, you know, in the, in the talking points of basically everyone. I think they will do it. They will cut production again. So with continued sanctions on Russia, why aren't we just seeing incredible demand? I mean, you have all that oil not in the general market. I've seen reports where Russia is finding other outlets for its, its oil supply. But in general, it's not in the global market as it once was. Why isn't that boosting prices higher? You also cite um, some issues going on in West Africa as well. Absolutely. There are supply shortages all over the place. People thought that Iran would be coming into the picture. Iran is out of the picture. Uh, uh, Russian production is edging gradually lower as basically the EU sanctions are kicking closer and closer. And February, uh, the December the 5th and February are not that far away. We already have to anticipate this being out of the market. Uh, Nigeria is just completely out. The production is at the lowest in, in at least 30, 40 years. Again, the markets just, it seemed they, that they have, they, they have forgotten this, uh, that they no longer reflect in, in how prices are being formed. We think this is an issue. And again, I think that the, after the OPEC Plus meeting, the agenda, the talking points, how things are looking will be a bit different than is it right now. Right now, it's a lot of commodity or macro-driven uh, effect on the commodities. Oil is different. Oil is not unlike any other commodity. There is still shortage in oil. All right. Well, WTI at 78, Brent crude at about 85, 86. We've got to keep an eye on it. Victor, thanks for the insight. All right. Thank still you. on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, General Motors revamping its return to office strategy. How often the automaker wants its workers back at their desks. Well, we're going to tell you when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Today's big number, 75 percent. That's the share of first mortgages that have an interest rate below 4%, according to mortgage data firm Black Knight. The rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage is now at its highest level since 2008, roughly twice where it was last year. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A landmark election in Italy as the country is set to usher in its first female prime minister leading the most far-right government since World War II. Our Steve Sedgwick is live in Rome with more on the fallout over these election results. Good morning, Steve. Yeah, good morning, Frank. Look, we just don't know what's going to happen next. What you just said on in the introduction is spot on. This is the most right-wing party we've had uh, in power, potentially, since 1945. In fact, incidentally, uh, the roots of the Fratelli d'Italia, the Brothers of Italy, 
actually draw their roots from uh, some of the supporters of Benito Mussolini. Uh, but Georgia Maloney has run a really strong campaign. She was the only government party leader, the only leader who kept out of the unity government of Mario Draghi and left her in a really strong position uh, to go into this election. In 2018, she only got 4% of the vote. This time round, a huge, huge increase, which means that she, plus her coalition partners, and it's a very interesting coalition with Silvio Berlusconi, the former prime minister, and his Forza Italia party, and Matteo Salvini, who's a stunningly controversial figure here in Italy as well. Uh, he leads a party called Lega uh, in the north as well. And now both of those parties are potentially uh, going to have some contention with the EU and some of its stance over sanctions towards Russia as well. Both Salvini and Berlusconi have some sympathies with Vladimir Putin and will be part uh, of this government formed by Georgia Maloney, if indeed the president allows her to form a government as well. But it is a stunning victory for her, uh, and they've really come from nowhere. And what was a, a day of voting which had a very low turnout, only 64%, that's the lowest ever, Frank. So, Steve, you mentioned it's really a stunning victory. Are there any broader implications for Europe with these election results? Well, Frank, can I go a bit further? There's not only broad implications for Europe. I would say for Europe, for the G7, for NATO, and for the broader Western alliance. Now, Georgia Maloney herself, she's what's called an Atlanticist, i.e. she's fully backing NATO, she's fully backing an aggressive stance regarding Putin, but her partners have real questions about the sanctions and the toll that's exacting on Europeans and the cost of living crisis. So might be real loggerheads with the Commission in Brussels, with the EU, and indeed this new government if there are questions over the sanctions and their willingness over in Italy to go along with the broader European ideas on that front as well. Also, Europe has given Italy, or is giving Europe, uh, Italy, 200 billion euros in the national recovery plan. This was the COVID recovery plan. But Italy's got to jump through all kinds of hoops to get that money as well. And some of these leaders who are going to be forming this government have said, look, we're not sure we want to jump through those hoops. In fact, we're not sure we want those reforms. So that could be another area of contention. Plus, this government has had plaudits from all kinds of right-wing parties across Europe, from uh, Le Pen, the National Front in France, from the Sweden Democrats uh, over in Sweden as well, and indeed from Viktor Orban in Hungary as well. And there is a worry in Brussels that this party, along with some of these far-right allies or right-wing allies could form some form of alliance which could challenge Brussels in weeks and months ahead. So a lot of headaches over in Brussels, a lot of headaches over in Berlin and Paris as well. Back to you. Uh, Steve Sedgwick, live in Rome. A lot to weigh over there in uh, Italy. Thank you, Steve, Steve, for that report. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera, she's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Frances. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. We start with a 10th day of deadly protests in Iran as outcry grows over the death of 22-year-old um, Masa Amini. Iranian state media reports at least 41 people have died in the clashes so far. The protests erupting across most of the country's provinces and worldwide. Amini was arrested by the morality police for alleged violations of the country's Islamic dress code. She died in the hospital three days after she was taken into police custody. Iranian officials deny mistreating her and release this edited surveillance video. They say she suffered a heart attack brought on by a pre-existing condition it is unclear what happened beforehand, though. Her father denies that and claims she was beaten to death by police. 
Back here at home, Florida is bracing for a hit from a massive storm this week. Hurricane Ian was just upgraded from a tropical storm moments ago as it moves towards western Cuba. It is expected to gain strength quickly as it works its way through the Gulf of Mexico. The hurricane's path indicates that Tampa could be put in the crosshairs with the city on high alert. Lines for gas and groceries have been growing by the hour. And a big announcement in the sports world, the NFL revealed that Rihanna will headline this year's Super Bowl halftime show. The announcement coming after a wild week three in the league. Melvin Gordon broke through a defensive battle on Sunday Night Football to give the Broncos the lead. The 49ers had opportunities to respond, but late turnovers cost them the game. The Broncos won an ugly one, 11-10. to 10. And a crazy ending in Miami, where a late Dolphins punt quite literally finds the rear of the end zone. The Bills got the ball down by two, but time ran out on the comeback. Much to the anger of offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey just cannot let it go. The Dolphins survive and stay unbeaten with a 21-19 victory. And in a battle of two all-time greats, Aaron Rodgers struck first. Tom Brady tossed a touchdown with 14 seconds left to sail the Buccaneers back into the game. They'd have to go for two to force overtime. Brady's pass is deflected and hits the turf. The Packers escape Tampa with a win, 14-12. to For a Monday morning, a tired one for those of you up late last night for NFL. We send it back to you, Frank. Yeah, that was a great game, that Tampa Bay, uh, Green Bay game. Also, I just have to note, the Eagles, we blew out the commanders. The Eagles are my team. <laughs> Francis Rivera, thank you for the latest. We appreciate sure it. All right, coming up, tech stocks getting crushed by the move up in interest rates. We're going to look for opportunities amid the carnage. That's coming up next. And a reminder to be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment event of the year. That CNBC's Delivering Alpha returns this Wednesday. To register, scan the QR code on your screen, or you can go to DeliveringAlpha.com and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. Global market turmoil, bond yields rising, stocks dropping, investors are bracing for another week on Wall Street. Big tech, one of the hardest hit sectors in the sell-off. So this morning, we're looking for buying opportunities amid the selling. Plus, Washington back in focus as the clock is once again ticking on a possible government shutdown. It is Monday, September the 26th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get a look at how the markets and your money look right now. Stock futures just slightly lower than they were earlier, still basically muted. Uh, The S&P, the Dow and the Nasdaq kind of hovering between fractionally lower and flat. The bond market very much in focus with recent dramatic moves amongst treasuries. The benchmark 10-year right now sitting at 3.77. We're also watching right here the inverted yield curve. We're seeing the two-year note at 4.28, even the five-year above 4%. Big moves as late uh, also in the oil market. WTI right now below 80 bucks a barrel, actually sitting at 78 bucks. Brent crude at 85, but earlier this morning it was below 85 a barrel. You got to remember WTI earlier this year, right around June at 120 a barrel. Let's go worldwide right now. Our Juliana Tattlebaum. She's live in our London newsroom with a look at the early trading action over in Europe. Good morning again, Juliana. 
Frank, good morning. Well, definitely worth another look at Europe. Things have taken a turn for the worse since we last spoke about 20 minutes or so ago. Now nearly every region is trading lower. We did have green across the board just 20 minutes or so ago. Now the Zetrodax, the CAC 40, and the FTSE 100 all trading below the flat line. FTSE MIB over in Italy holding on to the early gains, the outperformance there. That index is up about 0.5%. At one stage, though, we were up around 1.1%. So it looks as though investors are taking any opportunity to sell the strength and fade the rally this morning. A lot of jitters across the European market and a lot of focus on the UK. Let me take you to fixed income markets and what we're seeing in rates. This morning we saw the spread between the 10-year UK bond yield and the 10-year German bond yield, which is typically viewed as one of the more risk-free assets in Europe. We saw that spread rise to the highest level since 1992. UK 10-year gilts trading with a yield of 4.14%. A lot of this has to do with what's happening in sterling. Let's take a look at where we stand right now. British pound is trading 1% lower versus the dollar 107.52. This is a bounce off the lows. At one stage overnight, we were trading at a record low uh, versus the U.S. dollar. On Friday, the big announcement coming from the U.K. government that they are extending these um, tax cuts in an effort to boost the economy. Uh, that is driving a lot of concern or what that, about what that will mean for U.K. interest rates and the Bank of England this morning. Bets building that we could see an emergency rate hike from the Bank of England. Frank, back over to you. Juliana, thank you very much. All right, sticking with the markets, let's talk about the ongoing tech wreck. The sector coming off its worst two-week stretch since the beginning of the pandemic, with the Nasdaq shedding more than 10% over that time frame. With the third quarter set to wrap up this week, the Nasdaq is poised to notch losses for a third straight quarter unless it can erase a roughly 1.5% drop over the next five trading sessions. For more on tech's rough ride, let's bring in James Kakmak, partner and portfolio manager at Clockwise Capital. Good morning. Good morning. A right, lot, lot to break down uh, when it comes to tech and the tech wreck, as we're calling it. Um, I just want to start off. How much of the Fed and rising rates is really the story here? Because we talk about a lot of tech um, when it comes to big tech companies like Google, Microsoft, obviously they have very stable businesses and even things like cloud. There's clearly a transition going on. So are there any other factors leading to this tech wreck other than rising rates? Obviously, you had the supply chain constraints. I can't blame that on the Fed, but I can blame literally everything else on the Fed. I mean, we, Powell, Jay Powell is driving the economy into a brick wall and it's become a liability at this point. I mean, we were expecting, you know, a, a, a recovery in the back half of this year. But since that Jackson Hole meeting and the subsequent um, Fed meeting last week, you know, that entire calculus has changed. And, and right now, I mean, you look at that, you talked about the inversion in the yield curve. I mean, it is more inverted now than it was during the dot-com bubble. That poses huge risk to the earnings. So as we look at the tech sector, you know, we think that the broader indices, the Qs included, are at substantial risk as, as the earnings risk continues to rise. Um, but that being said, we are focused on a much more surgical approach on the most on the companies with the most indestructible the way we frame it, indestructible growth curves. And those are the cloud first companies that either help uh, enterprise move their data to the cloud, secure the cloud or, or change consumer behavior. All right. So you say. Fed, the Fed and Powell are the problem, but what's the solution? We saw a company like Adobe make a deal to acquire yeah. Figma for 50 times AAR, or as a lot of people consider it, just forward revenues. Um, but the market just didn't seem to like that deal. But obviously it was focused on growth and keeping right. that company away from competitors. So if investing in growth is not the solution for these companies, what is? Well, no, I think, I think the Adobe Figma deal was, um, was construed unfairly. I, I think it was, it was a smart deal for them. 
Because Figma is a platform that's going to be the defining operating system for design in the future. Adobe needed to make a move. Adobe is a service, and the world is moving, and increasingly the value will accrue to platforms. So they made a move. Obviously, it will take time to play out um, in terms of accretion to the bottom line, but it was the right move to make. But, um, you know, the Fed has completely changed the equation on what is the economic health of this country and what will it be for the foreseeable future as we look into the next 12, 18, 24 months. And that calculus has changed where um, the tech opportunities and the shift to the cloud continue to remain resilient and strong. That's where we are continuing to invest, invest big and, uh, and gross up those positions. But we are going to be completely hedging out um, the rest of the portfolio, given the macro uncertainty um, backdrop that we're dealing with. All right. So one question a lot of people are asking is, where's the bottom for tech? Um, just a few weeks ago, we saw rates rising and also tech rising at the same time. A lot of people thought, mm-hmm. hey, maybe we hit the bottom. What do you think? Uh, I, I don't think I mean, if things keep going the way they are and there is no about face from the Fed, I think we can go a lot lower from here, possibly 20 percent lower from here. So, uh, you know, you have a substantial risk, earnings risk. Um, you, you have the push-pull between these legacy and, and new tech, which will continue to, um, you know, create friction in the market. And um, you have the supply chain, which, which is, um, you know, not being fixed anytime soon. For some reason, the Fed thinks that, you know, the demand destruction is going to help the supply chain problems. It's not. So at the end of the day, you know, things aren't, Everything changed at Jackson Hole, and it's really quite frustrating as an investor um, to have to deal with it because, you know, we were, uh, if they did nothing, um, that would have been the best possible outcome. But you have to be surgical. I would say keep a lot of cash on the balance sheet. We're continuing to do so to take advantage of any pullback. Um, but, you know, you, you, you got to be careful here. It's, it's tr- tricky waters. Well, James, your forecast impossible move 20 percent to the downside for tech. You definitely got to be careful. You're not making a lot of friends in Silicon Valley this morning, but thank you for the insight. We appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Now to hear some of your morning's other top stories. General Motors shifting course, telling employees they'll have to start working in the office more often. The automaker informing workers in an internal memo that those working remotely will be required to appear in person at least three days a week. That will start later on this year. GM setting uh, progress, uh, setting progress for pandemic for, for the change in policy. McDonald's set to hike prices on more than half of its menu items in Japan. The fast food giant citing rising input costs and weaker yen for the move. This marks the second set of price hikes in that country, the first for McDonald's since 2019. And Amazon confirming it will hold another Prime Day shopping event next month. The e-commerce giant set to offer deals to customers on October the 11th and the 12th. CNBC previously reported that Amazon began contacting sellers about the event in June. The event could help Amazon spark early holiday shopping by customers as it grapples with inflation, rising interest rates, and overexpansion. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, lawmakers racing to reach a deal to help keep the government funded, but new hurdles emerging with time running out. What it will take to get a deal done, that's coming up next. And futures dropping the session lows. The Dow set to fall 200 points at the open. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I check on futures right now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures dropping the session lows. The Dow set to fall 200 points at the open right now. Just about an hour ago, it was basically flat. Now, also for a look at the Dow laggards right now, we're looking at stocks like Nike, Amgen, Cisco. Um, you see right here, 3M actually up in the pre-market. Um, some of those pharma and biotech names expected to face pressure from the rising dollar. Also, questions about how inflation will impact Nike and Apple. 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A very busy week on deck for lawmakers in Washington. Senate Democrats are set to move forward with a short-term funding bill extending current funding levels until mid-December and avoiding a government shutdown. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer promising to attach a proposal from Senator Joe Manchin to speed up the permitting process for energy products to, to the funding resolution. Manchin says it's a must-have to lock in his support, but the proposal is drawing opposition from both parties. All this with less than a month and a half until the midterm elections. Let's dive into all the action out of D.C. with Brian Gardner, Chief Washington Policy Strategist at Stiefel. Brian, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. How are you doing? So, Brian, I think the big question for everybody watching this morning is, how do you see the action in D.C. impacting the market action? Obviously, a government shutdown isn't good for anything. Yeah, I, so I, you know, you were going through some of the Fed speakers before. So I, I think that the DC government-related action, the more relevant, uh, impactful, I should say, it are, is from the Fed and the Fed speakers. What's going on on Capitol Hill, I think, is a, a bit of a, a sideshow. Yeah, it's important for the energy sector, um, but I think at the end of the day, there's there's no government shutdown, so we're not going to have uh, a, a, any kind of impact from that. Um, of course, you, you, you know, we alluded to the. Uh, the permitting issue um, and whether that passes. And uh, I've been skeptical. I continue to be skeptical. I I think that's probably going to get dropped at the end of the day. But chances of a shutdown are quite low. It's not in anybody's interest to shut down the government just a couple of weeks ahead of of the midterm elections. So as you mentioned, we have midterm elections coming up. Um, Obviously, the market's trying to price in different outcomes here. So if Republican wins, if Republicans win, what can we expect? If Democrats win, what can we expect? So I think a Republican win is generally gridlock um, because whether it's the House, the Senate, a sweep, um, you still have a Democratic president with a veto pen. Um, uh, Republicans are going to uh, push up heavy into an investigation, investigative agenda, um, a little bit on the tax cut side, but it's a different type of Republican Party. It's more populist. So those tax cuts are not as broad as they typically are from Republicans. They'll pen- tend to be more targeted uh, towards small business uh, middle class. Um, but again, generally gridlock because the two parties won't be able to agree. Democrats, it, it's interesting because that agenda is not as quite flushed out. But it, let, let's just say for a second that they sweep both the House and the Senate and they, retain, they, they confound the experts um, and keep both. Um, I think at some point they start to lean into the 2024 elections, trying to tee up a stimulus package um, that would prime the economy going into uh, the next presidential election. The problem is, if, if even if they sweep, but they don't pick up two extra Senate seats, we're kind of where we are right now, which is you have two Democratic senators, Senator Sinema and Manchin, who may not be as on board with a stimulus package, especially Senator Manchin, because of his inflation concerns. So, um, yeah, the agenda is um, a, a stimulus-oriented one, um, but getting that through, I think you still have a level of gridlock, even with a Democratic Congress. So, Brian, obviously there's some big things coming up, the midterm elections. Also, you know, the questions about that proposal from Senator Manchin. But are there any other things that you think should be uh, paid attention to that could impact the market coming up out of D.C. in the next few weeks? So I'm actually paying more attention to the lame duck in terms of market impact. I think the lame duck is where to walk. One, you're going to have a a longer term spending bill. The spending bill that's going to be considered this week only gets us to mid-December. So we're going to replay this all after the elections. Um, Then you have the National Defense Authorization Act, which is an annual defense bill. 
um, that's going to that's going to be a vehicle for a number of items to move, whether it's the Safe Banking Act that uh, that the cannabis and the financial services sectors are looking at um, uh, payments legislation, possibly that the financial services are looking at. Um, and then kind of an end of the year tax bill, a technical tax bill, not a broad tax cut bill, a tax extenders bill that could have some business issue, uh, business tax proposals in it. Um, uh, either delaying or suspending some of the changes on R&D taxes, uh, tax credits, um, on the business interest deduction and how that is uh, calculated. Um, that's that. Those are the items that I think are impactful for the markets. It's a post-election, not pre-election uh, agenda. Brian Gardner, a lot going on in D.C., a lot going on in the world, lots to keep track of. We appreciate that insight. Thanks, right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, many investors feeling a bit dazed and confused after this rocky September. Futures losing more steam over the last hour. We're going to talk about the big issues at play and ask two money managers how they're putting capital to work amid all this uncertainty. But first, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates and our contributors. As we head to break, here is CNBC associate producer Karina Hernandez. I am a first-generation Mexican-American, and I am so proud of that. The reason I am where I am today is because of the sacrifices my parents made to move to this country to provide a better future for my sister and me. It's those sacrifices that give me the drive to excel in my career and make their sacrifices worth it. My advice to other Latinos is echale ganas, which means to give it all you've got, and don't wait for others to take a chance on you. Put yourself out there and take a chance on yourself first. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures getting weaker over the last 30 minutes, now near session lows. A look at the 10-year yield this morning. Uh, obviously, we're tracking that with the yield curve inversion and everything else. Look at the chart right here. You're seeing the upward move up about eight basis points just so far this morning since about 8 o'clock last night. I also want to take a look at the biggest S&P laggards that include Live Nation, Amgen, Match Group, and Carnival. Uh, a lot of those stocks obviously tied to consumer spending. Joining me now are Eric Bailey, Executive Managing Director at Stewart Partners, Global Advisor, and Kate Faddis, Founder and CEO of Grace Capital. Thank you both for being here this morning. 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 Thank you for having us. So a lot to talk about. Obviously, we're coming off a big sell-off on Friday. We're seeing the move in the futures to the downside this morning. At the same time, we're seeing that yield curve inversion and rates on the 10-year on the rise. How do you see this market day shaping up? Eric, I'm going to begin with you. Yeah, it's been a very brutal September, Frank. Um, and you look at the futures where, you know, this week it's about are we going to keep, you know, bounce off those lows from June or head lower? And you look right now and unfortunately it looks like, yeah, we're going to we're going to head lower as investor confidence is just very low. You know, Fed policy has really uh, taken over and, and is controlling, you know, is controlling what uh, what investors, money managers want to do. And confidence is just not there. And so. You're seeing this in asset prices across the board, from equities to fixed income. Everything has dropped. And um, with with volatility so high, it's difficult to see right now the markets calming down and, uh, and, and developing a bottom. Kate? Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I, I think the, you know, you had what happened in June. We had a recovery. And now, you know, everyone's back from vacation. And it looks like. You look at what the Fed did, and the Fed is pretty consistent. At some point, uh, 
you know, maybe some contrarians will, will step in. But for now, uh, I think it looks um, unidirectional. All right. So obviously, September has a reputation for being one of the most difficult months for the market. Seems to be living up to it, at least right now. Um, Kate, I want to come over to you. One thing that you're pointing out is that the buy the dip mentality, at least in your opinion, is just not going to work right now. You really got to find good stocks to pick. Would you mind sharing a couple of your stock picks? And what are the factors that make a stock good right now in this current environment? Yeah. You know, we've had for 10 years easy money. So you could throw your, you know, buy anything and it was going to go up. That is no longer the case. We now have to sharpen our pencils and do proper fundamental analysis and valuation analysis. So some of the items I'm looking at, we like companies that have good fundamentals and are cheap, have good dividends, safe dividends, growing dividends, free cash flow generation. So one is Haynes brand, you know, everyday products, champion, ball, just my size. The stock... Uh, yield 7.5%. The dividend is solid. Last time the stock price was this low was 2012, 10 years ago. So compared to a decade ago, revenues are up 50%. Dividend is up 300%. Look, it could be a value trap, but it trades at a 6 PE, five times price of free cash flow. So this is one I like. Newell Brands, if you give me just one more, again, uh, you look at everyday things, Sunbeam, Ball Jars, Chesapeake Bay, Crockpot, Mr. Coffee, Oster, Contigo, Again, last time this price was this low was 20 years ago. Revenues are double from a decade ago. Dividend is up 400% from a decade ago, yielding 6%. P.E. of eight times, price of free cash flow of seven times. You could comfortably go up 40 to 50%. So, you know, when these growth stocks like Adobe are disappointing, these are some names we look at. All right. So Kate's looking at stocks. Eric, I know you're actually looking at the bond market and the credit market. Um, we've heard a lot of people say the two years is a great place to put your money right now. Are you also looking at corporate credit? And when you're looking at corporate credit, are you looking at high growth? Or are you looking more um, at the focus on the investment grade? Yeah, no, great question. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, we've had such a big move this month in rates. And so bond prices have just dropped substantially really the last few weeks. And so for our clients, our, our high net worth clients, we certainly like uh, tax-free bonds, municipal bonds, high-quality credit bonds. You can get across the board uh, well over 4% tax-free. And for people who live in states with high, uh, high state taxes, that's even more attractive. On the corporate side, a great. Uh, for lower-risk, high-quality, short-term credits, you know, anything in that two- to, to four-year range. And then for clients who have a little more ability to take risk, we certainly like higher yield, preferred shares, have uh, qualified dividends. You can get yields 7% and north. And um, we haven't seen these in, in quite a while. So the prices have really dropped. And uh, we do see long-term attractive values in the credit markets. All right. Almost run out of time. Of course, the Fed is a big factor on this market, um, becoming more hawkish. So I have to ask both of you very quickly. Uh, we have PCE this week. Is there any chance this PCE report impacts the Fed's plans? Kate? No. <laughs> Eric, one word answer. I wasn't expecting that from you, Kate. Yeah, I agree with Kate. I think sentiment right now is just too negative. And so even if we get a, a, a report that feels a little dovish, calms the market down, it, it's going to be difficult right now until we get real firm policy, you know, policy statements that things are reversing or the Fed is going to cool off on, uh, on their, their rate hikes at this point. All right, we got to end the conversation there. Eric Bailey and Kate Faddis, we appreciate the insight as always. 
All right, that's going to do it for us right here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.